All right. So, welcome to episode 12 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We just watched the Blue Jays uh, perform another dominant win over the Kansas City Royals. And, you know, when you go into series like this, you know, we talked about the stretch of schedule for quite a long time. This was, you know, the oasis for the Blue Jays. They had a tough schedule out of the gate, and this was a stretch that has kind of encircled on the calendar for a while. And sometimes those don't go as you expect. Uh, you know, sometimes the Orioles get a little feisty. Uh, you know, the Twins surprise them a little bit at home. But sometimes it works out exactly how you'd imagine. And when you have Alec Manoa going and you're facing the Kansas City Royals, this is sort of the type of outcome you expect. And, you know, when the other team cannot uh, score a single run over multiple games, that certainly makes life easier for you. But what jumped out about this one, Stoughton? Um yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it was exactly how you'd expect. I don't know if you drop a, a, a shutout. I don't know if you drop up Vlad, uh, uh, you know, maybe not having the best game while Alejandro Kirk almost hits five. You know, it's a, a four-hit night, which is quite nice. Bo Bichette, again, with the three walks. Um, they kind of lived and died by the, the double play. They they kind of hit into some, but also turned a couple nice ones. There were some nice defensive plays I thought was kind of uh, uh, was interesting. Um, and then really just, uh, they just sort of held together until the Rays, uh, until the Royals beat themselves really, which is, uh, I'll call back to a joke I made on Twitter. Um, but, uh, uh, but really, you know, that, that, uh, that was the seventh inning when they got the insurance runs was really, uh, quite crucial. Uh, I thought, uh, because it didn't feel really, uh, like it was going to, to go the way that it eventually did for a while. You know, they were in control, but two runs, uh, did not feel like enough, I think, and then uh, finally breaking it open. There were a lot of runners on base. There was a lot of like ineptitude with, uh, uh, you know, like I say, the double plays and with runners in scoring position. So uh, uh, an interesting game, and, and and maybe more entertaining than the seven nothing scoreline uh, would suggest. Yeah, definitely tenser at times than that score would suggest. One sort of fact that sums up this game for me, and not just this game, but where the Blue Jays are at is that Jordan Romano came in to get work. And the idea of that happening, you know, early in the season would have been totally absurd. You know, they, you know, there was some concern that they were running him into the ground. They needed him for every single, you know, one run game. And that seemed to be all (laughs) they were playing. And now we're in the stretch where you need to get him out there. So, you know, so his arm feels loose and he can, you know, he's, he's through really well. He's through 98, 99. Um, that shows where they're at. And, you know, that's not just the Royal series. That's the run they've been on right now. But the idea that you have that luxury of saying, uh, here are our best guys. We're going to throw them out there just, you know, because we don't want them to rust. Uh, that is, it's so different from what we've seen early in the year. It is what we'd expect to see coming into the season, but we know that the first part of it didn't go as planned, and that was uh, that stood out to me. I mean, in a sense, it's obvious. You know, it's not like some brilliant move by Montoyo, but it's symbolic of what's going on right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I certainly remember, even though like, I think Pat said about you know Kirk having a rough April, which I think it, somebody pointed out he's at 154 win, win runs created plus on Twitter earlier, and. and uh, uh, he was at seventy one at the end of April. Like it, it, Pat said, it, it felt like it feels like a different season, and it kind of does. And uh, the, you know, I know that the Romano thing sort of lasted longer into May, but uh, we definitely were 
you know, pouring over the, the velocities every night and watching for the ups and downs and uh, because he was getting worked really, really hard. Uh, and that, that can, uh, you know, I've seen Robbie Ray's velocity this year. That can, that can have an effect. Uh, uh, that over, that over usage is not, you know, just something teams do for fun. They don't monitor it just for fun, right? Uh, yeah, I think that was, uh, you know, that was symbolic of, of, uh, of, of how well things have been going of late and, and, you know, and of the schedule turning and how, you know, important it is, uh, and nice it is that they have this little break. Uh, though also, you know, like, like I say, important. They, they really need to take care of business. They didn't against the Twins. Uh, and they've assured themselves of uh, a series win against the Royals, which is good. Um, I can go for a sweep tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I think we do have to touch on Alejandro Kirk a little bit here. I know we've talked about him a lot in uh, in the previous episodes because he forces us to. You know, he's been that good. You know, Joe in the comments said he's scalding hot right now. Jesus Christ. That's, yeah, that's about accurate. Uh, <laughs> for the last little bit, you know, he's been sort of a WRC plus well over 200 player for a little bit here. You know, mul- I think he has multi-hit games in seven of his last 10, uh, four hits tonight. Obviously not the massive, you know, big power swings that we've seen in some of the recent games, uh, but still an incredible outing. And, you know, a single there that might have been a double if someone else was running as well could have looked a little bit better. And <laughs> yeah, Vlad, Vlad certainly seemed to think so in a couple of the hits. Yeah, and you know, and <laughs> fair enough on Vlad, but everyone's working with a different engine. So just because a speedster like Vlad could do it, uh, doesn't mean that Kirk can. Uh, a lot is is going to be on Kirk's shoulders for a little bit here, and I don't want to go straight into the downer stuff, but a lot has happened since we last talked, and the Danny Jansen injury, um, just a brutal break considering how well he'd been doing. Um, we talked about in the past how he's had this breakout that has survived all these multiple injuries and he keeps refinding this amazing form. And the fact he's being asked to do it once again is brutal. But coming into 2022, if you thought Jansen was going to be out for any period of time, you were a little bit worried about the idea of Kirk being the day-in, day-out guy because he was projected to be kind of part that catcher, part DH, maybe even more DH coming into the year. And now... Um, his defensive improvements are significant enough that you don't necessarily feel that way anymore. That being said, having Kirk and Zach Collins on your roster as your two catchers, even if intellectually you can say Kirk has been significantly better, there's a, something a little bit nerve-wracking about that in your <laughs> defensive battery. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that, but but no, he has been really good. Um, I, you know, the workload is something that he hasn't really done a ton, and I I hope that they really let him run with it. I really hope that they let him, uh, uh, you know, catch you know five out of seven days. I don't want to see a lot of Zach Collins because uh, you know Zach Collins stinks. They got right? the four good games. There was like four <laughs> good games in his bat. They squeezed them out right at the beginning, oh, and then we knew what it was from then on out. Great, you know, great Twitter presence. Love the Twitter. Yeah, love the, the W's. Yeah, but other than that, uh, yeah, not uh, the one you want to be on the roster. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, I know a lot of people are talking about Moreno, and that's obviously you know that's a thing. I don't think that's as necessary. You know when. Uh, when they don't need like just somebody to, to like hit the baseball like they did, you know, a few weeks ago, and that sort of felt more like, you know, I wrote something about how that that's a, that would be the desperation move that I made is, is 
you know, give that guy a chance. And, you know, if you look into it, uh, his batting average is kind of masking the fact that he's not hitting for power at all. Uh, you know, the, the walk rate is average-ish. I think May has been a lot better. May June has been better for Moreno, but he's, you know, he's not like beating down the door right now. He's, uh, he's just a very, very good prospect who, you know, it, it could make some sense, but I, I, you know, I see what they're doing and I, uh, and, and, you know, I think defensively, I'm sure they're always, they, they always think these guys could use more time defensively because often when they come up, they, they could use more time defensively. So, uh, you know, I know that was a kind of a disappointment for a bunch of people and we may eventually see him depending on how long Jansen is at. Um, and yeah, that is a real shame about Jansen. I, I the dirty little secret a little bit. Uh, I'm using phrases that I've already written down in a piece. So when you see it, if anybody reads what I write, uh, please, please, please know that I'm, I'm cribbing from myself and not the other way around. Uh, but, uh, but the dirty little secret of Jansen is that it's really all, it was just home runs at this point. Like, uh, he kind of wasn't doing a whole lot else other than those home runs, uh, for the last few games, you know, the last week or two or week or so, I guess. Um, which isn't to say that that's, you know, that, that, that he's not going to be missed. Um, but yeah, you kind of felt like Kirk was 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 asserting himself just because he's you know you can't take him out of the lineup right now and becoming that guy anyway. I'm not saying that this is you know is 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 nothing to worry about, um, but you know hopefully they can weather the storm with Kirk. You know just ride the hot bat for a bit, see as little Collins as possible, and and uh, and Jansen won't need too much time. Hopefully, I mean that's that's a weird thing to say. He broke his hand, but also Dan Schulman mentioned on the on the broadcast about how he has a plate in a similar spot and felt that that was maybe protective of it and, and help stabilize it and keep it from being worse, which, uh, I, I, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a, I'm, I'm just a simple man. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm not sure if that's how that kind of works, but, uh, but sure. If he's ready to come back, maybe if he wants to wear a pad on his hand when he comes back, maybe not a bad idea. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, uh, it it, they, it could be a worse it could be worse but uh, you hate to see it and yeah like you say you know uh, it's just so tough for Jansen who everybody really likes and, and really does seem to have done you know changed what he does at the plate and and, and is very very intriguing because of it uh, and to have to you know wait for that to start up again uh, is, is is difficult to watch. Yeah, and on our side we kind of have to keep kicking the ball down the road in terms of what we think of Jansen. Uh, at a time when evaluating the Blue Jays catchers is of some importance to the organization because they have to sort of figure out what's going to be the play here. And uh, this time, it seems weird to say you're evaluating Jansen this deep into his career, but because the changes were so profound in what he was doing at the plate, ultimately you wanted to see more bats to see how that would turn out. Like you said, a lot of it came from the home runs. Was he going to, you know, he wasn't going to keep that up, but to what extent was he going to keep that up? Now we're not going to know that for longer. As you mentioned with Moreno, he really hasn't hit for power this year. He's got nine extra base hits all season in AAA, none in his last nine games. So it's not like there's a recent stretch where he suddenly flipped a switch or something. I think you probably could have talked people into early in the season. Oh, if Jansen goes down, then maybe Moreno's your best defensive option. And for that reason, you bring him up uh, and start him a fair amount. But, you know, Kirk has answered some questions there. I don't think you're in a hurry. And uh, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I'm not clamoring to see Moreno right now, even though he has, you know, he's hit well and he's looked good defensively in triple. Like he's done everything they could ask him to. They'd like to see more power, obviously, but because he's not Austin Martin and he, he actually plays a premium position and he plays it really <laughs> well, 
um, you can wait on that a little bit. Like, I don't think it's time to panic about, oh, Moreno's not hitting for power. I don't think he is going to hit for an enormous amount of power in his career necessarily. Maybe he will. Um, but really, it's been flashes as opposed to consistent power with him. If you brought him up today, I think what you would see from him is kind of like Santiago Espinal 2021. Uh, and that probably sounds better than what I mean it to be because I think Espinal got really lucky last year with balls in play and whatnot. But you'd see probably pretty good contact and spraying of line drives and not a lot of power and kind of living and dying by the balls in play. And I don't, I'm not saying that's a terrible profile, but that's not something they desperately need right now. No, they got the best catcher in the American League right now. So, uh, yeah, whatever. Roll, roll with it. I mean, I mean, Kirk's going to DH tomorrow, right? I, I assume. You can't take him out of the lineup. You cannot take this man out of the lineup. The, <laughs> it's the it's other, very fun. The other injury we got to touch on since we talked last, you know, this is pretty short time between podcasts, but a lot of news. Um, and that's just kind of more updates on Ryu's elbow. We knew that it was, uh, you know, not a great situation, but we didn't know the extent of it. We still don't, to be fair. But the phrase that this is from Arden Swelling on Twitter, the Blue Jays have seen some chronic changes to Ryu's elbow. That sounds pretty dire to me. Yeah. Is chronic I mean, in, 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 in however one interprets that use of the English language, which I'm sure is not Arden's, but is Ross, uh, Ross Atkins, uh, chronic changes. I'm not sure if that's a, you know, if that works grammatically, but it does, it does sound dire. So does Dr. Neil, a, a trash A case. Yeah. Positive chronic changes you hear about. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Especially when it comes to 35 year old pitchers and elbows. Um, you know, Ryu's been, it's been a difficult, year for him even when he's pitched even when he seemed healthy at this point it's just so hard to know when he was healthy and when he wasn't and that made him difficult to evaluate but if you're dealing with something serious with his elbow it's hard to believe that you're going to see much more of him in 2022 and then you know into the last year of his contract I think you kind of joked like oh this could be kind of the end for Ryu and then you kind of you know very reasonably backpedaled on that like now it's too early to say that but now uh, that backpedal may seem less necessary. Like there's there's a chance here that it's kind of it for Ryu, and I and I don't want to bury him like that because you never know what could happen. But there's a scenario here where um, the value that was to be had from Ryu has been extracted already. Yeah, I think so, and I think you know, I mean. We're just reading tea leaves here. Obviously, don't know anything, but I, I and also like literally just sort of gauging uh, other people's reactions to it. You know, like the other media people, uh, the people who are closer to the team. You know, the way the way that the 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 scrum after you know he was pulled from the game uh, before the MRI uh, was pretty somber and was described as such. And I, you just you get the t- the sense, and I don't think that it's anybody knows any anything, but. Uh, and this maybe I said this last time I wrote it. I don't know, but like you, you don't really go for a second opinion if you like the first opinion. Maybe you said that, but uh, but that's you know that's sort of where we're at. Like that that is a pretty clear signal that whatever that first opinion was was something that they they really preferred not to have to have to hear. Uh, and you know, uh, we all kind of know what that is or could be. We know what the worst case scenario is. Everybody knows what that is. Um, and they're already best case scenario saying it's it's multiple weeks. So 
uh, it's something bad. It's not. It's not good. And uh, you, you, you hate to see it for you. You hate to see it for the fans who you know deserve to have seen more of you at his best, uh, because it was also behind closed doors, and we missed so much of 2020. And that was really the, uh, you know, that was his. You know, there was a top three Cy Young guy that year. Obviously, you know, we all know that it's uh, that is all. That would all be a real shame if we don't get to see him come back uh, at all. But I don't, you know. It could if if he comes back, it could just be negative value from here anyway. And you know, we looked, we remember the the diesel engine, uh, Tanner Roark. Uh, they cut bait real, real fast at the start of uh, the last year of his deal. Um, and you know, that could be the scenario that we're looking at. And I, I, you, you hate to think about it. You also hate to think. I mean, Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs wrote about this this week, uh, or I think today. Uh, about how there's, you know, Ross Stripling's done great. He's done really, he's done a really, really great job, uh, you know, filling in for Ryu and being the sixth starter. And, and whenever he's been called upon, been really good. But uh, there's not a lot of depth starting wise. You know, this team doesn't look nearly as good if, you know, if somebody goes down, God forbid, and then Stripling's your four, and now you're seeing Casey Lawrence or Thomas Hatch, right? That, uh, uh, that's a problem, and so you know, as as much as people I think are maybe you know in their minds, though they're not speaking it because they wouldn't, because that would be shitty to, to do, thinking like, well, Ryu was kind of you know looking like toast anyway. Maybe it's better off to have strictly. It's like no, just even him as a layer of depth that you can rely on, you know, to give you something uh, is very valuable and, and worth uh, not being too you know glib about. Well, who cares? Well, he's kind of done anyway. It's like no, it's it would be it would be ideal for all the reasons that uh, that this isn't as bad as you know uh, as Doctor Atrache case uh, makes you feel sometimes. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't just do Tommy John surgeries. That's not that's not just. Uh, it's not like a death sentence, you know, we've over and over, over the years, you know, it's like, Oh, he's going to see James Andrews. So that's it. And it's like, no, like a lot of the times it's, he recommends something else. So, uh, but it's just, everybody does know what the, what the bad one is and, uh, how catastrophic that is to, uh, to a year, to a season and a career. I think you make an important point about Ross Stripling and, he has a lot of value in that theoretical, you know, break glass in case of emergency role, right? There actually aren't that many teams that have a sixth starter as good as Stripling, who I would say is a perfectly fine fifth starter. Pretty reliable. He's been good this year. He, his ability to manage contact has been significantly better than recent years. He's getting a lot more ground balls. I think he's over 50% on ground balls. Uh, which he hasn't had since he was doing really well with the Dodgers. There are some reasons for optimism with him. Now, you can say in 2021 he had a really, really good stretch, and you could point to reasons why he was doing well then, and it kind of fell off a cliff from there. So you don't want to put too much hope in a guy who really is you know, a swingman with sort of swingman caliber stuff. But when you don't have that layer behind him, like you said, things get scary. Like I don't have any faith in Thomas Hatch as a starter. There's he's never been good as a starter in the minors. He's never even really tried it in the majors. Uh, so that's something I don't think Blue Jays fans want to see is him out there. And before the season, you had this group of five that you were pretty confident in, and then there was that comfort and knowing Stripling was get there. And then there was also the idea that 
you know, beyond Stripling, there was this upside in Pearson, who they were stretching out and believed would potentially be a starter for them. And I don't think any of us fully believed that, but it was a possibility. And now the multi-inning reliever thing, that's the path we're on. So you haven't just lost your six, you've lost your seven. Uh, and it is pretty worrying. Like these guys kind of need to stay healthy for the Blue Jays to have a functional rotation. And I don't know if starter has bumped up to the level where they really, really want to grab one at the deadline because that can be incredibly costly. And also they have three guys they can really trust theoretically in a playoff series uh, if things go better for Brios from here. But it's something that you think about that I would have been, you know, a little bit dismissive of a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, there are, there are guys who can fill the role and, and, uh, you know, I think there's, there is, there's enough of a gap between uh, Stripling and, and Lawrence and Hatch and those guys, um, that you can find somebody, um, hopefully we don't have to think about this. I mean, obviously the team will have to think about it going forward, but, um, no, no rush on uh, any more changes to the rotation at this point. Going back to the chat here, we have one that is a bunch of numbers in a row written as letters, which is very difficult for me to read in real time. Um, it might be a meaningful <laughs> handle, whatever you want to do. I'm not going to judge it. I'm just saying that this is, you know, this is a live action podcast as it's been described. So I'm not going to read out all the numbers. But it says another quality start from Manoa, only four Ks, three walks, but he got the job done. What's behind his K rate being down this year? Is it because teams are loading lefties against him? Is he push, pitching to contact more? There's a lot to this. Uh, you know, the lefty-righty split thing is interesting because it was not nearly as pronounced last year. It is a lot more pronounced. This, you know, even today, uh, and I suspect we talk about this, so I, I noted it down. Like right-handers went two for twelve with one walk against Manoa tonight, and lefties went four for ten with two walks, and that's been the pattern. Um, coming into this game, I believe Manoa had a K to walk ratio of 19 to one against right-handers and against left-handers, it was in the twos. Um, there, there are some things that go into that that are sort of unavoidable, right? Like we've talked before about how Manoa actually has fairly similar stuff to Barrios in a sense, and Barrios often struggles with this split as well. And he's got his best pitch is the slider. Like he, the fastball is really good, but the best pitch is the sweeping slider. And it's a very horizontally oriented pitch. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you know, it's coming into lefties. You can back foot them a little bit, but I think that that works better with, uh, with a slider that dives and his is more working side to side. So then, you know, he's got a good fastball, but his fastball is not, you know, truly blowing people away from a velocity standpoint. Um, the sinker is interesting. I think that he's used that significantly less against lefties this year. You might want to think about boosting that um, a little bit. That one can be interesting uh, against opposite-handed batters. And the changeup is just not refined. Like, we see moments. We see starts where it's like, wow, that changeup looks good. Like, that can be a dynamic pitch. It's got good fade. And then we see starts where, you know, he throws four of them and none of them are competitive pitches and then he kind of moves away from it. So, some of it is is longer term concern. Like he is he going to get lefties out at a really good clip? Our team's going to be able to totally load up lefties against him. You know, not everyone has the personnel to do that, so in some cases, it's not a concern. I think it's valid to worry a little bit about him. You know, he had, I believe, it was two whiffs tonight. Like even against a contact heavy lineup, that's not good enough. And it's weird to say that's not good enough because he did get the job done. 
But I, you know, I think there's some yellow flags with him in terms of his ability to miss bats because managing contact, it's been great so far in his career. Um, but it, that can be a trickier thing and a less sticky thing. And it's harder to know over the long term if he's always going to be as good at that as he is right now. Um, I know we've seen a decent sample so far, but when it comes to keeping hard contact from happening, I'm always a little bit more skeptical than I am of guys who can just blow people away with strikeouts. Yeah, it's. I think that that is very well said. I think that that's that it's been uh, it, it's been interesting to see the difference between last year and this year for sure. Uh, some of it, some of it may be down to the the uh, you know just trying to be more that that's sort of the optimistic shine on it, trying to be more efficient and and all of that. But I think you're absolutely right that there is there there is something there. Uh, in the lefty thing, uh, very obviously, and, and you know they talked about it on the broadcast tonight about him trying to, to get to work the sinker or the splitter or whatever uh, two seam or whatever 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 we're calling it, uh, and and make use of that because as you exactly say you know there are some times where the changeup looks like it's like it's great and somewhere where he goes away from it and that's sort of been the thing uh, for a while and I think that's you know when he first came up was was. Uh, the book on him was like, Oh, the changeup is an interesting pitch, but it's not there. But if it could be there, then there, then you really have something. Um, but, and, and I think you're right that long, long term that, that the, uh, that living this way is a bit dangerous, but, uh, but for now, this is sort of also part of the package of, of Manoa and part of what makes the, you know, part of the appeal is that, you know, he, he does, you know, to use cliches, man, manage to dig deep and, and, and is, you know, competitive and does manage to, uh, to not, you know, not get knocked around too badly and not, uh, uh, you know, not, not in like the metaphorical sense, but like even, you know, the, the, the hard, the hard contact and the missing barrels is, is decent, even if it's, uh, not ideal, uh, sometimes, um, and also he's been limiting walks, you know, tonight was an exception, but he's really kept the walks down. And I think that's sort of helped balance out the lack of the strikeouts that he's had. Um, I, you know, it's, it's so, it's so hard to argue with the results though, right? It's, it's, uh, it's looked great so far. And, and, um, and there, like you say, the personnel thing, I mean, the Blue Jays, for example, cannot load up lefties against a, against a guy like that. So, um, that doesn't mean that it won't be a problem, and, and obviously, teams, better teams as the season goes on, are going to be uh, adjusting their rosters. And the Blue Jays, of course, themselves are going to be adjusting, you know, trying to trying to balance their lineup a little bit more and trying to bring in personnel that would be able to 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 give them better looks against a guy like that or against a variety of guys. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, you know, I I don't even want to think about it, frankly. I don't want to think about you know what <laughs> the red flags or yellow flags, even if you will. Uh, on Alec Manoa. It was a, it was another excellent start where he uh, uh, where he sort of bulldogged his way through it. I will say this though, just in terms of what I said, sounding negative, and I, I am actually writing on Manoa and the split issue for something that's going to come out on Thursday. So again, I don't like to spoil myself too much, but whatever. I value you, the live action listener. Um, one thing that's interesting <laughs> is that. Last year, he was significantly better against righties than lefties, but he did get those strikeouts against lefties. So last year's strikeout percentage against lefties was 29.1, and this year it's 15 even. So there are some things that he did last season that he can revisit, uh, especially because none of his stuff has really diminished in a way that's significant. 
So there is a track record of him. I'm not saying I think he'll always have this split. I think he'll always be much better against righties kind of as a result of that slider. That's the way but that he, there, yeah, but the angle are, he comes at him, yeah. There are things that he can look back on that he's had success with before that can help him be a little bit more balanced. And, um, yeah, I, like I said, you know, yellow flag might even be overstating it. We just don't have that many colors when it comes to flags. Like, it's really just red, <laughs> orange, yellow. And if there was one under it that could be like taupe or something, maybe it would be a taupe flag. But I'm just working within the confines um, of what we generally do with flags. We've had a, we have a nice, uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's fair. not a yeah. sentence that I thought I'd be saying tonight. That, that makes uh, sense, though. Okay, we have, that makes more uh, that makes more sense than. Uh, and chronic uh, irregularities or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Chronic um, changes, yeah. We have a nice active chat today. So, and one thing that yeah, I'm I not seeing to... any of the chats, uh, unfortunately. So, Nick, you'll have to you'll have to be in charge there. They're not no popping. worries. Um, so, one thing I did want to get to was uh, the real Senate. Another interesting handle says we should just take a moment to appreciate David Phelps. What a guy. And it is, I think Dan Schulman said it really well on the broadcast. Like when you talk about a game, you talk about the starter, you talk about who closed out the game, and you talk about who hit the home run. And that's sort of how you end up summarizing a game. Obviously, that's a vast oversimplification, but the, often that's what you know the game story, if you're writing the game story, boils down to, or the conversation you have with your friend about the game who missed it boils down to those sort of protagonists. And David Phelps falls into the space where he rarely gets discussed um, because what he does, while very important and very effective, isn't often at the center of the game's narrative thread. And he's been fantastic this year. And when I watch Phelps, I'm not excited by it. I, <laughs> I find it hard, in a sense, to follow what he's doing. Like he's he's like a bit of a tricky pitcher to think along with, which I think is part of what makes him effective, because he's got the fastball that he throws the straight one, and then he's got the cutter and he's got the sinker. So he's got all these different fastballs that he comes at you with different angles, and then he's got the nice curveball as well. Uh, like I said, nothing moves in a way where you're like, wow, that really, you know, he's not going to show up on Pitch Ninja a ton. He's not going to throw incredible velocity but he is you know he's crafty and the stuff is still there and it's understandable why Montoya likes him in difficult spots with men on base and it's easy to fall into the you know the narratives of like this guy's got a low heartbeat this guy can handle pressure situations when you know sometimes guys who seem like that blow up and it, that is very hard to predict and nail down but he does, you know, he at least gives off the appearance of being pretty unflappable out there. And he's been a great addition to the Blue Jays this season. Yeah, I think definitely. I think that was a really smart signing when they, they made it. And, and you know, the and, and I think that a lot of people identified, you know, it was a minor league deal with the invite. And it, it seemed pretty clear for a while that, like, if he looked like the, the guy that we'd seen before the injury last year, uh, which was not a guarantee, uh, that he would be back, and 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 he really has. He's he's really been. He's like I think Schulman said. You know, it's not, and you say it's, you know, it's not overpowering stuff. It's it's it. He is a tricky pitcher. It's different, but it it absolutely works. And he's definitely not a guy. You know, you don't want to be in a situation where he's your ninth inning guy. But uh, but yeah, he does a lot of uh, a lot of little things well. And I think the unflappable, low heartbeat kind of stuff. Um, 
I think we can talk about it because the Jays themselves talk about it, right? Like that is something that they they clearly value, and Ross Atkins will talk about, and 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 in his in his books, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's lots of stuff about it on whatever bookshelf is uh, is next to Mark Shapiro's whiteboard, right? Absolutely, there's never <laughs> going to be a shortage of books on that whiteboard. Books, books can't be on a whiteboard. Maybe no, well, point, there, there's a stack next to it, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Vicinity. But I do remember Shapiro very proudly showed me the whiteboard uh, when I when I was was last in the office to do a podcast with him. He was like, Cause, because I'd been spending so much time just shitting on the concept. It's like, there it is. There's the whiteboard. Man, I, I in my previous life at Yahoo Sports, I had a whiteboard that I would consist. It was supposedly for the team, and I swear that I wrote like eighty five percent of the things on it. I think brainstorming on a whiteboard is immensely satisfying. I don't know if it's like, effective, um, but it's very satisfying. So I get where Shapiro is coming from. Another, <laughs> there, were, there was there were whiteboards at the score, but I I don't recall a lot of, of brainstorming uh, being done on them. There was. Gambling, yes, and then scumbaggery, yes, but but brainstorming, less so. Uh, we that was all done, that was all done at the Firkin. From clown, uh, speaking of, I don't know things that could be was a scumbaggery. Was that your term? I believe uh, so. Yes. Anyway, uh, Bo three walks again. Can he sustain his current career high walk rate of six point nine percent? Does it matter? I mean. Yeah, it's easy to talk at this particular moment where he's had a couple of three walk games in a short span after never doing it. But my ears always prick up when I see a player show me something he's never shown me before. 6.9% is not uh, too high a bar to clear. I'm not predicting necessarily that he's going to do that, but I don't think it's out of reach for him. Like It only requires him being a little bit more selective, a little bit less wild, especially on those first pitch swings. You know, considering how good the guys who hit behind him are, you'd like to see him walk a little bit more. It absolutely does matter if he can get on base more. He can be, you know, he's a star last season with an OBP of 343, which is, you know, is a very solid mark. Um, it would be really good in this offensive environment, but is not the sort of OBP you associate with, you know, a top level five win all star type of player. Because he was good at the other things, he plays a premium position, he runs the base as well, he's got power, yada, yada, yada. Um, patience is the missing piece for him. You know, we could talk about the nitpicks about his defense, and those are um, sometimes they're valid and sometimes they're not, depending on the day and what's being said. But patience is arguably his biggest uh, issue. And so if he shows some improvement in that area, that's very encouraging. Yeah, I, I think so. And so it does. I, I mean, it's it's not just you know walk rate in isolation, right? Everything is interconnected. You know, if, uh, if 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 he's showing more of an ability to walk, then he's forcing pitchers to be in the zone and giving pitches that he can hit more, which can you know help him in that way as well. Which I think is uh, is why you know not just not just OBP for OBP's sake, though. Obviously, you know you want him to get on base, but I think that that could make him a dangerous hitter in a lot of ways if if he is less prone to chase and pitchers have to respect the the fact that he's not going to chase a little more if he becomes a little more selective so uh so yeah i think it does absolutely matter and you know i, I mean i don't know that it matters if he doesn't like because he obviously has shown that he can be uh an outstanding hitter just the way he is and that's you know a narrative that's another thing that came up on the broadcast tonight you know that's that this is just sort of how he goes about it he's just he's aggressive and and 
this has been, you know, part of part of his thing for a long time, and part of like how we've talked about him since a pro- he was a prospect. How you know he he basically chose because the draft is fucked up. You know, and he basically chose the Blue Jays because he had a strong commitment to I think Arizona State and could basically write his own ticket in the draft. And the, this was a team that wasn't going to. Uh, wasn't going to mess about with what he is as a hitter, and I, you know, we we never really knew if that if that meant mechanically, and I don't know if we still know or if it meant like in terms of approach. But I think it it probably comes down to the you know that this is this is who he is, and they they weren't going to change. You know, try to you know a lot of a lot of organizations will take guys and and try to you know cookie cutter them up a little bit, and I think that the Blue Jays have not done that to their credit. Um, but yeah, I, I like if if this is all that he is. It's still really, really good. So I think I'm fine with it, especially, you know, defensively looks looks better and better all the time. Uh, lots to like there. Uh, you know, still not an elite defender, but, uh, you know, he was like a four, four-win four player, five-win, five four-win player last year. Um, five by Fangraph. So was like, it five? Like okay. Prototypical all-star, right? Like, yeah. Like, especially at his age. And, and complain about that. Yeah, and if the defense is going to improve, and then, you know, I, I think – even even just naturally, he's going to get you know players just tend to get better in terms of like recognizing pitches as they get older, uh, especially I think elite ones like him. So that should that should bode well, even if it's not like a concerted effort to like I'm going to have a league average walk rate. But uh, but um, yeah, it's great to see. I mean, I don't. This could just be a blip. I hope I, I don't imagine he's going to be getting a lot you know a lot of three walk games going forward. But uh, uh, but yeah, I think him not offering at pitches is uh, is ultimately you know not offering at pitches that aren't in the zone is a good thing. So yeah, the more the merrier. Love it. We're getting yeah. nearish to the end of our time here, in part you know because of the hour, and you know I know we have fans all over the place. We've established that, but uh, for many of us, it's getting late. There are a couple players I wanted to touch on before we get out of here, though. One is. Just a brief shout out to Santiago Espinal for his little power burst because he's got three home runs in his last seven games now after having two uh, in his prior two MLB seasons, which I believe covers a hundred nineteen games between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Another really good night tonight. Continues to impress. It's tough because you know if you go and look at him now, you know his exit velocity, max average, still you know, well below league average. He's not a power hitter, but going from zero to a little bit above zero is significant. (laughs) You know, it's kind of the same thing we say about Bo, right? Like if Bo goes from a 5% walk guy to a 7% walk guy, you know, that doesn't make him Joey Votto, but is it's a significant little improvement to something that had been a weakness. And Espinal is doing that as well. The other guy that I think deserves a shout-out in Stone, you can touch on one or both um, as you see fit afterwards, is Matt Chapman. You know, there's so much talk about Alejandro Kirk right now uh, and just the offense in general. I feel like he's flying under the radar. Uh, last eight ga- nine coming into tonight, 375, 459, 531, just six Ks uh, for a guy who's normally, you know, well over a strikeout a game. And had the two hardest hit balls tonight. And that, you know, that one that went for a double play was truly unfortunate for him. Like that was a screaming liner. His at bats are starting to look significantly better. Just to my eye, it looks like he's doing a better job with fastballs recently. I think early in the season, he was swinging through a lot of fastballs, you know, some of them up out of the zone. And he looks just significantly more on time at the moment. I don't know where things are going for him, but. 
it's kind of great, you know, gravy. As good as this lineup can be, you know, they survive fine if he's a sort of average, slightly below average hitter, which is not necessarily what they wanted when they traded for him, but they can live with that. But if he's anything more, that is, uh, that's really significant in terms of lengthening out the lineup, and he deserves some credit for what he's doing recently. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, I think they're now 15 and four, uh, and he, in their last, you know, whatever it was, 19 games. And, and over that span, I forget, I saw the tweet. I saw, I don't know if the Blue Jays, but it was on the screen, but somebody, I retweeted it earlier. He's been, he's been really good. I think you're, you know, Supa mentions in the comments, I'm finally able to see the uh, mentions Rob Manfred fixing the balls, uh, you know, as tempting as it is. Uh, he also mentions getting the Jays in the AL Central, which would which would be fun, though. You know, uh, it's fun to beat the Yankees and the Red Sox too, if that ever if that ever happens. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind being in the playoffs every year. But uh, but it's tempting to talk about you know Chapman and this weird blip in the you know balls are, are traveling a little bit better now. Uh, but I think you're right that that you know it's it's not just that you know he has been snake bitten and he has you know. Uh, you know, when the ball was behaving maybe a little bit differently. And I say, I'm talking about it as though, like, I know for sure that that's what's happening, but it certainly kind of feels like it and looks like it. Uh, even despite the fact that, you know, this, the weather, usually this, that, that happens this time of year anyway. Uh, but, but you're right that, that the swings and the, it, it was, there were some ugly at bats, non-competitive at bats, and he's certainly not in that spot right now. Uh, and yeah, it's been really good. He plays great defense. Uh, as we all know, uh, I, I think that the, the Chapman thing has, uh, has been excellent. Um, and who was, who else? Espinal, I think you're very, you're very correct about as well. Um, and it's sort of, it, I think it, it, tonight is a great example of, you know, like I think I said off the top, like Teoscar and Vlad didn't have great nights. Uh, and in May in early May, that would have been, that would have been it. Cause there's no, it just, well, nobody was going and it's just, it's, you can have a game like this where those guys don't have to carry you. And most nights, you know, like last night, Bo and Vlad were the guys who had to carry them. And that, that, that was, you know, that's, that's what's going to have to happen more often than not. But when it's kind of, when it's not like everybody up and down the lineup is pressing and is in between and is just not getting it done. And, you know, the, the whole hitting is contagious thing. What whatever you know that that it, it seems logically that that shouldn't make sense but i think of it you know, when we've talked about you know if it makes sense to the hitters then then it, it can have an effect and uh and yeah just to see what a game that was kind of just the ex- absolute opposite where you know the guys at the bottom of the lineup are really driving uh driving in the runs literally uh i think is uh is just such a great sign for the lineup and for the team and and uh, and, and for what you know, for for making everybody believe in like their ability to do what they that we all thought they could do at the start of the year, and then just kind of didn't show. Uh, easier against the Royals than against the Yankees, obviously. Um, but uh, uh, but I don't know. You feel like they're in a good place, and uh, they they've shown enough with the pitching that 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 all of the elements are kind of coming together right now. Uh, and they have to be because uh, the stupid Yankees are still <laughs> not catchable, even though the Jays have played so well. All right. I think we're going to leave it uh, just about there. Last housekeeping notes. We're still having a bit of struggle with uh, the RSS feeds. I believe you guys are listening live, so not a worry for you. Uh, I believe at some point these these episodes are going to make their way out to the various podcatchers out there. I, I'm uh, seeing I'm seeing mine on uh, on Apple. Sorry, dropped oh, a dropped okay. a thing there. Well, that's good to hear. 
You can always find it on Colin. That's been a constant. You can always uh, listen in live. Uh, we appreciate it. However, you guys are listening in. Our next episode will be on Thursday. We're bringing on uh, the Zoobs, who I'm sure many of you guys know and love. I have seen his icon in the listenership tonight, which means you know he's doing his homework. He's a true pro. Not that we didn't know this about him going in, but we're looking forward to a fun episode. I did get some feedback in the previous episode. I asked if people wanted to hear more nonsense um, and the Zoobs <laughs> coming on. Uh, I think that that's a natural fit, and I did hear multiple pieces of positive feedback that that is of interest to people. So expect a little bit of a more nonsensical episode on Thursday. Oh, let's all let's get all the nonsense, all, all nonsense all the time. Lincoln, Lincoln versus anybody. Let's go. All right. Thanks <laughs> again for tuning in, everyone. We'll uh, we'll get back to you on Thursday. Yeah. Thank you, everybody.